Welcome to the Crypto Assets and Blockchain Podcast. I will welcome uh, Ruven. Thank you. Nice to have you here. Um, so this is your timetable. Yep. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Ruben Heck. I work at Consensus, which is one of the like bigger Ethereum companies in the space. Um, we have now 600 people, and I'm the project lead for our digital identity um, project. It's called Uport, and I'm going to talk about identity and how that's relevant for everything we're doing here. So I think many of many of you have maybe seen this slide. Um, everybody is aware of the craziness of the last um, two years of token launches of any kinds. And a lot of my friends were part of this, and they were quite happy when they raised a lot of money. But a lot of the questions uh, came after that around governance. I think many people have heard about Tezos and others, like challenges after that, how do you govern the, the money you raise? And, and a lot of legal questions are coming up. Um, a lot of questions around um, KYC and so on. So the, the, the great thing is many people raised the money, but then when they started opening in a bank account, they had problems because no bank gave them a bank account because they couldn't prove where the money is coming from. So a lot of, a lot of questions coming up. So um, the, the topic which often is like talked about is like KYC in the last six months, always is like, hey, we need KYC, we need KYC for our token launch and so on. Um, it's a very broad term, and I don't want to explain and not go into too much detail. In particular here, I think people are fully aware of this. But in the in the in the space of crypto, usually it was a private key that was everything which was relevant. So when you were in the Bitcoin world, anything you needed to know is like, or you hold your private key, you can transfer any kind of assets. But a lot of the use cases we're now talking about with um, blockchain requires a bit more. You need to actually understand who the um, partners on the other side. Who is the person? And I think the tricky element we haven't really solved yet, but it's very important for the industry, is how do we connect uh, real-life persons to some kind of cryptographic key? Because that's really relevant for any kind of um, legally binding aspects. It's, it's very important for um, like AML, KYC, the whole aspect. But also, like, how do you build a reputation around someone? So if you do, if you think about these use cases of like lending platforms or um, Airbnb of the future or whatever it is, you, you want to know like who are the other partners and it's not just a cryptographic key. So identity is kind of the, the big theme around this, um, but identity is a much broader topic. We, we don't really think about identity on a day-to-day -day basis, but we actually, every time we are interacting with any traditional services, they know who we are because we have an ID card or we have a... Uh, medical card or whatever. So for every interaction with like traditional services, we are a known entity. So we have an identity of our services. In the digital world, we have many, many identities because typically every time you go to a certain service, you create an own identity. So yes, I have an identity on eBay and on Uber uh, where I build a certain reputation with this identity and I use this again and again. But it's always within their um, specific applications or companies. So the, the, the big challenge today is identity is very centered around organizations and companies. It's not really centered on me. So uh, whether it's government, this is more of a like, uh, traditional sense, um, organizations. Um, most of these, these entities, they hold records about me, but they are hardly ever shared. 
there are good reasons for that, but there are a lot of like bad reasons for this. It's a lot of like legacy. So the challenge is that identities are um, in the in like in the large part of the world not really accessible. There is more than one billion people in the world who have no form of legal identity. Uh, it's very inefficient because um, sharing of information is is really hard, and um, you need to have some kind of like who is the entity who you would trust. Uh, holding this information and so on. So there's like a, a lot of challenges. You create an account. I don't know how often I gave my credit card number and my address into s several services to, to just interact with them or pay something. So you repetitively enter your data, and that creates a lot of risk because uh, you, you have your data stored all over the place in hundreds of um, data centers or in hundreds of companies. And uh, not only is it uh, insecure because you have the data all over the place, but also it's outdated. When you, when you change your credit card number, you go to 20 different websites to replace it. It's really annoying. So there's a lot of um, reasons why this is not great. Um, and we believe really the next step is decentralized identities. We often call it self-sovereign identities. Um, the main point is that we went from um, digital identities to federated identities. So I think everybody has used connect with Facebook, connect with LinkedIn, which is way better because you don't start again creating your uh, account on each of the websites. But that means every time you do this, you give them even more data about yourself, about your behavior. That's one aspect. And these companies are for-profit companies. They're selling your data. So that's kind of, it's a known fact. People, some people are comfortable, many are not. Um, but it's the convenience which often uh, is, is higher than like the concern. The challenge is now um, these accounts can be closed or can be locked, depending on where you are. Like maybe here in Germany and other parts of the world, this is less of a concern. But if, if you're in Hong Kong and you're part of this revolution and people stopped your Twitter account. I have some friends here, they, I don't know, five years ago started a bot um, doing something on Facebook. They are life, lifetime banned on Facebook. So you can't just Tinder or whatever. Like there's a lot of like services which are now relying on these federated identities, and it's becoming more and more of an, a challenge because of privacy reasons. So the next step is really like self-sovereign identity. So our, our future, like what we think is identity, in the, needs to be centered around the user, not centered around uh, service providers and uh, companies. So the, the self-sovereign element means like the user is in control of that identity. The data and the information is portable. So me as a user, I go to a new service, and I can share a set of my behavior and my data of the past and immediately have a certain reputation and the space. That means the data and the, and the identity information is, is distributed. It's not like one honeypot of uh, a company where you have Equifax, it gets hacked, and suddenly you have uh, millions and millions of records exposed to the world. So now I talked about the crypto in the beginning, now the general identity issue we have. Um, so there's these two building blocks. Um, building an identity system for blockchains. Everything you need to do or like interact with a blockchain requires a key. And as I mentioned in the beginning, the connection to like a real person. And many of these problems, like when we talk about this on these conferences, we all assume that's kind of solved. We've, we figured that out, but we haven't really. Like the, the fact how people store their private keys as an individual is really hard problem. How do you recover this? Um, how do you understand what kind of smart contact you're about to interact with? Like, what do you, like, how do you know that you're signing the right um, thing? Because the blockchain is immutable, so we, like, whatever we do there is kind of important to understand that we do this. Um, we have no persistence in our identity. Many people use like a, a public key, but then you lose your private key, and, the, and the, it's not anymore there. You, you start from scratch. 
Um, we have a lot of friction at the moment on like onboarding users on it. Like, if you want to interact with the public chain on Ethereum, first you have some Ether, and that means you need to have a Coinbase account or whatever to get this. So the friction is very high. And the connection of like a real person to this identity is, is really one of the uh, core building blocks we need to fix. On the other side, as I just mentioned, the self-sovereign identity part we believe can address a lot of these um, issues around fragmentation of your reputation as well as uh, data ownership and so on. So what, what we are building at the moment, like we are one of the startups building one of the solutions in that space. Um, Uport is, is, is the name of the project. And where we are today, we have a mobile application which creates an identity anchored on the Ethereum blockchain and allows you already now in this, like we're still in an early stage, but you can already log in and you can uh, sign um, with your private keys certain challenges and response. Um, we are trying to abstract the, the key management from the user, make it very easy. Since you now have a private key which is associated to you, you can sign any kind of arbitrary data, whether it's you upload your document on the blockchain, you sign it as a transaction, or whether it's any kind of um, off-chain data you sign, this is all like connected to this identity, which is uh, very powerful. Um, the user attestations and reputation is a very important point, and I will come to this a bit later. It's really like how do you, as this identity, which has just this key, build a real-world connection and like build reputation. That's kind of one of the most important things. Um, I will not go into details on the very identity verification because I come to this later. And we are now supporting also private chains so that um, if you build a consortium or you have um, a specific company use case where uh, you have end users who need a key, how do you know that this is actually end user or how do you know that's your employee? And how do you then know that the signature from them is actually uh, the stuff you want to have on your blockchain? So this kind of uh, questions are coming up all the time. So what is an identity itself? Um, as I mentioned, it's, it's an identifier, like some kind of thing which, you know, okay, it's a random number, um, but it's associated to uh, me, and I can control this with my keys. The second part is it's a collection of data around this person. So every time I do an interaction with someone, whether it's a peer-to-peer -peer interaction, whether it's like I on Airbnb and I, I interact with someone and I get uh, a good reputation because I... I have, I don't know, I, or pay paid my loan or whatever it is, any of these interactions can be um, received as a form of a credential, like an issuance of like, yes, I confirm, I know this person, or I'm at Harvard and I, made an, I got an MBA from them. And how this is, is structured is, um, of course, it's like a verifiable claim. So I can claim that I have, that I'm employer of consensus or that I'm German. Um, Many people might say, okay, that's fine because they might know me as a real person, but digitally it's really hard to do this. But if you now have a company who can issue to me um, the fact that or in February 2018, me with my identifier, identity, um, I'm an employee of Consensus, then Consensus can issue this fact and can sign this with their identity. And because it's cryptographically signed, this is really hard to fake. So... If you think about this, um, over time when we're working with universities and with uh, uh, big companies and small companies on like building an ecosystem around this, um, in the future to go to LinkedIn and you might have said, like, okay, I worked at this company, I have this degree, I've done this project, and you have this verified by the issuer, like the actual companies doing this, the value of this becomes way, uh, way bigger. And me as a, as a person, you cannot, like, you don't need to trust me or whatever I posted here on my, on my resume. You can actually see and it can get verified because the issuing parties are cryptographically uh, signing these facts. 
and that becomes very, very hard to fake and very, very hard to hack because if you now need to, if you've tried to spoof whatever I claim to be, you need to hack MIT, you need to hack consensus and all of them to get their private keys to do the signatures. Uh, there's already, like, I think the saying out there that it's harder today to fake 10 year history on a Facebook account than to fake a password because to, to replicate 10 years of interactions with other people on Facebook not only requires you to have access to Facebook and their data set, but it's really hard to really build a, a strong network of this. So it's often called like the web of trust. Like if you trust some of the entities, if you trust Deutsche Bank that they uh, know their processes and issue an attestation that I'm a customer there and have a bank account with more than 10,000 uh, euros on it, and if I go to my landlord and show, hey, Deutsche Bank has verified this, as long as you trust that the process and the issuer is, is doing right, then you can trust this information. And it's not like a PDF printed out where you can fake it with uh, Photoshop. It's actually something which is cryptographically designed and therefore way more valuable. So how this like, technically works, very briefly, um, the, the phone app at the moment creates a private key and two smart contacts. And the, the identity contract is like the persistent identifier. Um, the, the fact now that you might lose the phone um, requires you to have some kind of like gaining access back to your identity. And that's why we have a second smart contact before this, which is this control and recovery smart contact. So um, what we demoed a year and a half ago is, was one example of like a social recovery. So you can set a certain group of individuals or your notary, your lawyer, and something else as a recovery network. So if you lose your phone, you can contact them and because they can now cryptographically sign uh, confirmation that uh, it's really you as a person who contacted them, you have a new phone, and then they can basically switch access to this identity contract uh, to a new private key. So you don't replace the private key, sorry, you don't uh, get a new uh, identifier, you just basically reconnect it to a new private key. Um, and you can use this within like the <coughs> Ethereum ecosystem, but as well externally. So the, this identity contract has an address and everybody can verify um, looking at the Ethereum public chain that my keys are associated to this identity. I will not go through into detail here, but we're building a whole ecosystem around this. So the mobile app is just the first instance where people um, can interact with this. But we really encourage like developers to um, go into our libraries. And in some cases, we have seen people are building very like non-Ethereum use cases around this. They just use the fact that you have a cryptographically uh, capable tool to sign transactions or any kind of data um, for various use cases. And it's kind of interesting to see and if you go somewhere to hackathons and what people come up with them ideas. Uh, we build a lot of like microservices to make it easier, whether it's messaging, push notifications to make it easier. We have a fueling service to that in, in theory, like we can pay gas costs for people to do this. It's a, it's a whole range and I'm happy to talk about this offline. And um, some of the uh, protocol layer work is not something we build like our specific U-port uh, identity. We're working with the industry to, to come up with like standards across this. So this um, identity protocol is something there. The W3C and us are working together. It's called like the DIT, which is the decentralized identifier, which is a global standard, and the verifiable claim. So these two elements are really critical that they work across the ecosystem. So there are companies building this on, on Bitcoin, on, on Sovereign, and other blockchains. So um, that you can verify an attestation given from an identity on Bitcoin with an identity on Ethereum. It's really important that this is across the ecosystem and not just Ethereum. Um, the, the one example we, we did was um, in, the, in, in Souk, um, where, where we made a pilot with them, or actually they are live now, um, where 
citizen can download the application and generate their own uh, digital identity, which is self-sovereign, so they are in control of this. And you go to the registration office, you go to like real city government, uh, official uh, registration office, and they validate your passport. And then the city issues you the statement, yes, you are actually um, a resident here. And with this information, now you have the first government-issued uh, confirmation about your, like, your known citizen. You have a uh, place there. And now you can go somewhere else and can say, like, hey, as long as you trust and you want to know that I'm a real person and not just a random address in the Internet, uh, you can now say, like, I can share this information. And people can verify that the city of Soup was actually the issue of this. And this moment, you create this, this trust and this connection uh, that you can use for various use cases. So if you're building an asset management platform, which I know there's a talk later as well, um, in Switzerland, they were like, oh, cool, if we, if we know that this is a real like citizen here, that already gives us an element of KYC. Whether that's the whole thing you need, that's another question, but it's, it's a starting point. And like in, in Brazil, it was more like a company, like you upload a document and you, you sign it, and then you have another person coming in and notarizing it. So very simple use case, whether it's your last fill or something else. Any document, you sign it and have, have other identities as well to co-sign it. And then in many, in many countries, that's already like a legally binding um, uh, I don't know, contract in that sense, uh, as long as you know that the entities who are participating are like known. So my, my key takeaway for this is really like, uh, if we don't solve this identity problem, most of the use cases you talk, we talked about here are pretty useless because whether it's uh, fashion on the blockchain or anything else, as long as you don't have like um, participants in a supply chain, participants in a lending platform, whatsoever, identity is the core block. And identity has this element of real world and cryptographically signed attestations and uh, keys. And that's what I wanted to share here. Thank you. Thank you.